Louder! Camera Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kanga Banger, from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, mother fucking lickers. And the slickest of them all, Mr. Slicknick. Good evening. Today, we have a doozy of an episode. But first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, how goes it? Oh, mate, I have been extremely flat out this week, as you would know. Um, Yeah, a lot of shit happening over this way. One of my mates moved into his new house down in Perth, so thought I'd treat myself to a little holiday and go down and see him, give him a hand to work on his house for a few days. So it's actually really, really nice to get away for a little bit and, yeah, just sort of chill out and, you know, work around the house and whatnot. Fucking beautiful area. So it's amazing down there, just like right out in the country, really, really green compared to where I am at the moment. So it was, yeah, it was nice to suss all that out. And uh, on the way back, I thought I would treat myself to a Vin Sin film. And it would be Dario Argento's Trauma. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I thought I'd lash out and uh, suss that bad boy out. I didn't realize Brad Dorff's in it, so. Yes. I'm extremely excited to see him in that. And uh, other than that, nothing really much. Just, uh, yeah, watch this film and keen to talk to you guys about it. How about you, Slick Nick? Not a ton, my way. Um, Been working a lot, mostly, uh, which has left me a little tired afterwards, so... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, not, not a lot of time other than just trying to get some extra sleep uh, to do much else. Um, yeah, really. I mean, mostly just working, at least just this week. That's just kind of all it's been. <laughs> I, yeah, really not much in- interesting. What about you, TJ? Anything, anything fun? Well, aside from making really sketchy commercials that may or may not offend other members of the Project Louder Network, <laughs> I have been working on a comic book that Brody and I are producing along with Cameron Lee of the Beetle Bros. It's going to be exquisite. More to come later. Producing podcast just dropped our old boy episode, which is episode 33 of LCE. It's available on all major podcasting platforms now. Check it out. We hope to hit those charts very, very soon. Yeah, just kind of watching film. Got my Vincent order in this past week. I watched the Pathogen movie. That was truly something special. That's the uh, zombie movie made by the 12-year-old girl uh emily was her name pretty cool we watched the documentary called zombie girl that is about the making of the film and kind of the struggles that she f- uh, faced being a 12 year old at the time it was it was cool it's interesting stuff i watched that with my 11 year old daughter taryn who's uh severely and heavily into the arts and it, it was cool she uh took a lot from it but anyway i'm excited to talk about this week's film and this week's film is 1999's resurrection good evening as it has been our top story tonight continues to be the ongoing search for a serial killer. Guy comes in here, cuts another guy's head off, walks off with it, and nobody sees anything, no witnesses. The lab says it wasn't human. It says it was lamb's blood. A detective is about to test his faith. 
All the victims were 33 years old, the same age as Christ when he died. The guy's rebuilding the body of Christ. And his sanity. Resurrection. Christopher Lambert. Leland Borser. Question your sanity. And have mercy on your soul. Because Judgment Day has arrived. From the director of Highlander and The Shadow comes a horrifying story about two cops who must find a madman before it's too late. Be afraid, for he has risen. Resurrection. And that is from director Russell Mulcahy, who also did season one's pick of Razorback from 1984, Highlander in 1986, Blue Ice in 1992, and Silent Trigger in 1996. Writers, Brad Merman and Christopher Lambert. Cinematographer, Jonathan Freeman, who also worked on Replicator in 1994, Falling Fire in 1997, Monday Night Mayhem in 2002, a TV movie, and Five Flights Up in 2014. Music by Jim McGrath, who worked on Killer Dale in 1999, a TV movie, The Last Mogul in 2005, a TV doc, and Degrassi the next class in 2016 the tv show production design tom boyd who worked on virus in 1996 lex in 1999 and absalon in 2003 set decorator gareth wilson who worked on the dead zone in 1983 clear cut in 1991 and pacific rim in 2013 producers howard baldwin christopher lambert patrick Choi, and niall naimi special effects coordinator warren appleby who worked on films such as Tommy Boy in 1995, Max Payne in 2008, Cosmopolis in 2012, and It in 2017. Budget, $10 million. And yes, I know, that may exceed the previously established budget cap of $7.5 million, but upon research of this film, I discovered that it was actually $10 million USD, and Brody lied to us. Loopholes, mate. Loopholes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inflation, inflation. <laughs> chocka, chocka, chip. Oh, yeah. Starring Christopher Lambert as John Prudhomme, who starred in Highlander in 1986, Fortress in 1992, and Mortal Kombat in 1995. Robert Joy as Demas, who starred in George A. Romero's Land of the Dead in 2005, The Hills Have Eyes 2006, and Aliens vs. Predator Requiem in 2007. Robert Tyson as Sarah Prudhomme, who starred in Murphy Brown in 1989, Final Destination in 2000, and K9PI in 2002. Rick Fox as Detective Schofield, who starred in Eddie in 1996, Holes in 2003, and Dope in 2015, Leland Orser as Detective Andrew Hollinsworth, who starred in Seven in 1995, Alien Resurrection in 1997, and The Bone Collector in 1999. David Cronenberg as Father Roussel, who starred in The Fly in 1986, Nightbreed in 1990, and Jason X in 2001. Peter McNeil as Captain Whipley, who starred in Body Parts in 1991, Crash in 1996, and A History of Violence in 2005. Last, but certainly not least, Jane Eastwood as Dolores Coon who starred in Videodrome in 1983, Dawn of the Dead in 2004, and Moonpoint in 2011. Slick Nick? Detective John Prudhomme and his partner are assigned to investigate the murder of a man whose arm has been severed. After two more victims with missing body parts turn up, the detectives realize they're after a serial killer. Even worse, he's using the body parts to reconstruct the body of Jesus Christ. 
So, Brody, you picked this film. Yes. Why did you pick this film this week? Because I like this film. (laughs) (laughs) Got a reason, is that it? Yeah. No, I actually, I don't know. There's something about it that really, I don't know, really resonates to me in the fact that it might be just the way that it's the gore factor throughout each scene. I don't know. I just, I think it's a film that really that people should watch and appreciate it for what it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was a film that I'd saw ages ago and it really stuck with me in a weird way. Um, yes, it does have its moments like Finch's Seven, I will say that, but I kind of feel that we really get this flushed out bit more of a detective story. Like they really, you go in there to these crime scenes with the characters. Oh yeah. They flush out Mm -hmm. the story. They really dig in the details a bit more. You get to see everything. I don't know. They don't dumb it or tone it down. And I think that's what's good about it. They really show you everything. So do you think that's the fact that it's just so full on is what attracted you to it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I do like that they were going in a different direction, like Mm -hmm. this serial, like it is a little bit over the top to an extent. Extent I would assume, but you know, just that religious theme of building, you know, the body of Christ out of bodies. I think it's a fucking cool idea in its own little weird and fucked up way. Yeah. Um, and, and to see, like, at the end, what the killer was able to achieve, and mm-hmm. I don't know, there's a little bit of twists and turns throughout the film as well that I like too. So, I, 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 if you know me as well as you think you fucking do, you'll know that I like my twists that really serve its purpose throughout the film. So, yeah. And and I'm just happy that Vincent was actually able to release it to a wider audience is because, yeah, it's a film that no one really ever talks about. And I think it's really one of them underappreciated gems that we all should see. Well, thank you for that insight. And yeah. speaking of uh, Vincent, let's get physical. So this week's disc is from Vinegar Syndrome, released October 26th, 2021, runtime of 108 minutes, and it's rated R, and it features a newly scanned and restored N2K from its 35mm interpositive, and features a cathartic experience, an interview with director Russell Mulcahy, terrifying or hilarious interview with actor Robert Joy, on the same page, an interview with actor Jonathan Potts, over the top, an interview with composer Jim McGrath, reversible cover artwork, English subtitles, and of course, it's region free. Both Brody and I own this. Brody bought it, I'd say the month it was announced, I would have to say. Uh, yeah, he definitely got that the month it was announced, and I got it within yes. the last month. I waited off a little bit. Thank God I was still able to get it with the slipcover, because that slipcover is incredible, and it definitely has some artwork that kind of spoils the end, but also definitely makes you want to watch the movie, because it's super enticing, and it's very brutal. Uh, yeah, they did exquisite on this release release and if you are a fan of detective thrillers right that's what i would call this uh <laughs> or seven i would highly yes, recommend yes. uh checking this out boys what'd you dig up well i was able to get most of my information from the vinegar oh. syndrome release and what i was able to get was uh in an interview with russell mulcahy he uh he talks about how the script came to be so he goes on to say what happened was that obviously i've worked with christopher lambert before uh, i met his friend brad merman and it happened to be that we met in a bar somewhere one night and they were going to pitch me an idea for some film and they had already done a feature film together so i mean brad had written another film with lambert called night moves so we went to we went to the meeting they pitched the idea but then lambert well it didn't go down too well so lambert 
Gambit and they pitched this idea that they had about a serial, serial killer collecting body parts. It was a fascinating idea. We all sort of gelled and had a mind meld that night and the idea of the script was born. So yeah, the original idea was Chris Lambert's. Then Brad Merman fleshed it out and made it into a wonderful screenplay. Goes on to elaborate about a major inspiration for the film. Uh, he says, we decided to go to Toronto to do it and one of the greatest influences of the visuals of the film. Uh, there's a photographer by the name of Joel Peter Whitkin, and he's this photographer that gets corpses and he puts them into strangely surreal vignettes like someone who's got no arms, no sexual organs, and it's very odd photographs all in black and white to sell for high prices. But anyway, I had this book and I looked at his work and it was just an inspiration for some of the objects in the film. We all agreed that this film should have a very visceral quality about it. You should feel it in your gut. You should really smell it. I got that right. I nailed that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and he also goes on to talk about the filming style of the film itself. So he goes, a lot of styles like the ramping of the camera. So for an example, there, there'll be a scene and then all of a sudden the camera will spin around someone super fast but the actor is actually acting at normal speed. So in reality, you have to have the actor act normal and then slow motion and then normal again while doing dialogue. It was a technique that I used in videos, so the lenses and the style of lighting was influenced by that, and it also gave it this grunge factor throughout the film. So uh, he does discuss uh, the poor release of the film initially. Uh, he says... I mean, one can really only put it down to the producers on this end. Uh, I mean, I've worked with them twice and probably never again, but I did another <laughs> film with Jeffrey Rush <laughs> and it never made it theatrically. So maybe they like making films not to be released. I, I don't know. It's quite a commercial film. I heard it did okay overseas. I mean, all of these actors have a following, but it did reasonably well in Europe. It is what it is, and at least it's out there. I did notice that as well while I was doing the research. I think it did the best in Spain. Like two, like two million people went and saw it on its initial theatrical release in Spain. I'd be happy with that. Oh, yeah. Um, so I wanted to throw this in there because you know how much I love David Cronenberg. For sure. So oh, yeah. Mulcahy just quickly sums up about getting David Cronenberg on the film. So, well, like I said, we shot the film in Toronto, mimicking Chicago, and that's where Cronenberg lives. I was like, damn, I knew he did a little bit of acting and I just called him up and it was like a yes. He was fantastic, perfect man to play the priest. How awesome would that be just to have Cronenberg <laughs> and just be like, you want to be in my Holy fucking shit. film, mate? <laughs> yeah, awesome. sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> man, that's the dream. Now let's talk yeah. about Crash. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, our very, our very first episode was a, uh, was a Cronenberg picture. Uh, <laughs> have we had a Cronenberg for each season so far? No, we didn't have one this season. We uh, have one last season. ScannerCon? I'm sure we did. That's not a Cronenberg. Oh, no, he didn't. No, do no we had Scanners. We had Scanners at the start of the season. That's right. We did have Scanners, too. Okay. And then led into Scanner. He produced that, right? Produced Scanner Cop. Uh, but produced yeah. Scanner Cop and then directed Scanners. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But Pierre David produced both. Yes. And directed yes. Scanner Cop. Yes. So, uh, Mulke talks about the violence in the film. Yes. He says, a lot of the prosthetics were based on that artist uh, referred to earlier, Joel Peter Witkin. And when I said that he photographs corpses, it's always curious to see where he gets them from. There are 
various stories, but we're not going into that. So there was a number of scenes which are pretty over the top, but for a necessary reason. There's one particular scene with a young man. His legs have been cut off, he's tied up, and he's bleeding profusely. Chris Lambert tries to save his life, and it becomes this like emotional scene, even though it's tough to watch, and the guy dies in Chris's arms. But they cut so much out, and now it's about four shots, where it used to be like a minute and a half. Because I was back in Australia after my cut, and then I found out that it was all cut out. They didn't save the footage. These days, people would love to see restored films, you know? It was there when I screened it for the composer, Jim McGrath, because I remember at the end of the screening, he was a, quite a rattle of nerves, but he was ready to jump in there and give it a wonderful score. How would you feel leaving that country and then only find out that they've just cut the absolute fuck out of your film? Didn't and they? One of the major scenes. I think they lost that fil- like footage too. Didn't they end up well. fucking Mulkey and Highlander too? Yeah, because there's like, isn't there like two or three different cuts? Yeah. It's like a renegade cut or something. Yeah. Ooh. This guy can't catch a break. No. He's pretty fucked up. But anyway, we'll lead into Mulkey talking about the score of the film. He goes on to say, it's gothic. It makes you feel uneasy. He goes with the pulse of the film, and I picked him. Um, fuck, let me just actually go back. I'll talk a bit. Sorry, Jim McGrath. Um, so Mulkey talks about the score from Jim McGrath. Uh, it's gothic. It makes you feel uneasy. He goes with the pulse of the film. I picked him. He was brought in after the first rough cut just to sort of see it. It's good to get that composer's music early, so then you can maybe do some re-editing and whatever instead of composing to the final print. It's nice, and I worked on Highlander with Michael, Cayman, and Queen as well. They all work together very closely. You can adapt the visuals to the music sometimes. It works both ways. So he speaks about cinematographer Jonathan Freeman. Uh, He says, we had just a really good team on this film. We had Jonathan Freeman, uh, the director of photography. I worked with him a few times, and he's a terrific young cinematographer, very talented. He knows how to paint with light. The film had to be dark in many ways, but also cinematically, in colors and tones. There's usually about maybe four DPs that I work with, and it depends on the film or if they're available. Uh, It's also the style of the film and the temperature of it. Obviously, every director has a style. I've got a style both in ways that it's staged and edited. I started my whole film career as an editor, so I'm very aware of staging and editing in my head as we shoot. Do you imagine if it came out after the darkening, TJ? Uh, (laughs) The the opening scene is pretty dark itself. I could only imagine what would happen. It's just a black screen. Yeah. (laughs) This probably started the darkening. That's a good point. This is 99. Yeah, it was around the time where they just decided you didn't need to see the movie you were trying to watch. (laughs) I'll, I'll lead on to oh, – sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll just lead on to actor Robert Joy talking about the script. Um So I felt very excited about the role because it's a role of a character who's pretending to be one thing and then you find out he's something else. So reading the script was a great read, let alone is a great watch because of the the suspense that's built into the story. There's this unusual inclusion of all the religious themes that make it very disturbing and dark. So I felt that when I read the script, I was very eager to play a role that was so central to that whole dichotomy, the double-edged sword. So, uh, Robert talks about his character the film, says, I played a bunch of roles that were on the villainous spectrum, you might say, but never as intense as this one. It had the extra appeal of a character who seemed entirely benign that was built into the character description. So really, it was like playing two roles and it had that extra attraction for him. There was no research that I did or anything like that. Uh, I just was very conscious of not giving a 
anything away in the early scenes, anything malignant. I wanted to make it like the FBI guy, the agent that I play, to be sure that he was not suspicious and to make him more fun. That's all. You realize that the character has an appetite for performance, drama, and being noticed. He kind of doesn't really want to get away with it on some level. He wants to be appreciated. And that was one of my favorite scenes, being arrested. Because Rick Fox, uh, who's an NBA player that I really admired as a basketball fan, arrests me. Is that Schofield, the really tall detective? Yep. Yeah, I re- I recognized him in this as well. He's uh, Jackson Vahue. He's one of my favorite characters from Oz. <laughs> oh, fuck. He's in Oz. Yeah, he's the, uh, I think, actual like football player or basketball player. Yeah, he's the basketball player in Oz that gets sent to the prison after he like hits his yep. girlfriend. Makes fucking sense. So we also have Robert talking about Russell Mulcahy himself. He goes on to say, I was familiar with the Highlander films and thought they were amazing. Love the idea that this film was so different from those films. I thought, okay, what's he going to do here, you know? What you always hope for as an actor in a film is that the director is going to be excited, engaged, and passionate about the work. You felt that with Russell absolutely every day. Every frame was a work of art for film. Sorry. Every frame was a work of art for him. There was a feeling of excitement that they had and a feeling of ownership. They were just doing this film as a job. He was doing this film as an artist, as a creator. This was his baby. So there was that sense of excitement and commitment right from the top to bottom of the crew. So Robert also speaks about the film's initial release. says, I was not just disappointed with the release of the film, but shocked about it. Because I saw it. It's gorgeous and it's exciting to see all the work that we did put together so beautifully. I thought this was going to do really well. Still to this day, it puzzles me as to why it didn't get a wider release on this side of the ocean. It makes no sense to me that this film, on its merits didn't become better known. And it's one of the mysteries of the world of distribution. God knows what happened there. I certainly don't. And finally, we have Robert's final thoughts on the film. It's clearly a stylish film with a strong cast and a great story. I've never heard a negative word about this film, and I'm delighted it's now going to be available for people. It seems to be righting a wrong in a way, if you know what I mean. It's 22 years ago that I worked on this film, and it still holds a place of pride for me. I've done some thriller and horror films, but this film has a combination of both genres and great visual style. Every time I think about it, I think how proud I am to be in it. Well, boys, if that's all you got, let's talk about it! Favorite performance of the film, Snickly Snickles, take it away. Sure thing. I uh, am probably actually going to have to go with Robert Joy as Demas. Uh, I think he played a very, very good villain. It the the twist of the reveal of him not actually being the FBI agent actually genuinely got me. I, I had no clue that one was coming. I like it. I see the comparisons to Seven with the villain, you know, being this religiously motivated serial killer. But like, I don't know. I think they're overly compared in a way. I think his villain is a lot more complex uh, than like, say, Kevin Spacey's John Is this the season of the ripoff? Because we also did Bad Dreams. (laughs) I was about to say he's Bad Dreams. The Dream Warriors. (laughs) Hmm. 
Or can Most we sit here and make our listeners do think that? That's true because we did make a good case for bad dreams. Yeah, I mm, I don't know if I can make as strong a case for this as I could for bad dreams. It's definitely more full on, like Brody <laughs> talked about earlier. Yeah, it definitely is. Oh yeah, like for sure. I cringed a lot more at this movie than I did at Seven, and that had the you know dude like sewn into his bed, <laughs> waking up when he's still alive while they were like the detectives were in there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it just it felt very nuanced. I do kind of understand what he means when he talks about. Like, it's almost like playing two roles. He's playing the character of the FBI agent that Demas is trying to portray and then playing the villain himself is like almost kind of separate. Um, And I just liked the sort of cat and mouse that they played at the end where he's like, you know, I'm going to be out of here in 48 hours, man. Like, it, right. what are you doing? Just you may as well just let me go now. Uh, And like, it just it became very, very threatening that like hospital chase scene at the end where he's trying to steal the baby. Um, I think was just played very well. Um, I, I like how also in Bad Dreams, uh, the the villain, <laughs> it's it's a rooftop death for yep. the villain <laughs> as well. Uh, <laughs> now, like now that I'm thinking about it, while well, I'm talking about it, kind of funny. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I am gonna have to go with Demas. I, I felt that it was uh, very very well played. I did also like Leland Orser as Hollinsworth as well. He played a good yes. buddy cop sidekick with that little sort of tragic ending. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'm I'm thinking Robert for for Demas definitely. Uh, what about you, Brody? What's your, what was yours? Well, I would have to 110% agree with you there, Nick. I had him down, and basically for that character development of Mr. Roberts himself, you know, he's definitely he's definitely an actor that can really add on the charm as well as being a fucking intimidating person at the same time. And I was like you and the first time I saw this, Nick, I did not see that twist coming in the cafe. No. And that whole scene, um, I mean, if you go back and watch it, the subtle hints there of his character are there, like telling you the audience, like you sort of see that in the tropes, uh-huh. but it's not until you actually go back and watch that. And that's what I really love about his character development throughout the film. You know, it's there, but it's like he said, he, he's definitely one that wants to be known for his work, work, but at the same time doesn't want to be caught. So for that actor to try and get, bring that to the table without giving it away too early, I think that's an amazing thing to achieve in that sense. Um, I mean, he's just definitely got that overall tone of creep factor that definitely helps whether or not he's playing the good or bad guy. Um, not to really bag on his appearance or anything. But yeah, I mean, it, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch him uh, play, like you said, that cat and mouse game with Christopher Lambert's character. Uh, I will give a special mention to his mask. Just looks like he's been kicked out of Slipknot and now he's on a murderous rampage. That does <laughs> look like Tortilla Man, doesn't it? It fucking dead ringer and that yeah. was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, I don't know. I I I like it. I really enjoyed it. It's something different to an extent. Um, it's kind of like we get that extra thirty minutes of like Brad Pitt, and I will compare this bit to Seven. Brad Pitt, if he hadn't have shot fucking old mate in the head at the end of that, you know, it's that that, that the last thirty minutes of this is probably what we would have got in Seven, if you know what I mean. It's like interrogating with the killer, if you know it. Yeah, you, you kind of pick it up. So yeah, well, yeah, because so like, it's part of it as well in Seven, is he wanted, you know, it didn't yeah. complete until he got caught. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I kind of feel like if he hadn't have shot him and Brad Pitt was to actually interrogate him in that sense, that this is what we would have got. And then we get that in this film. So it was kind of cool to say that. I don't know. That's just me. What about you, Mr. Bowser? Sorry. I wish we would uh, see Robert Joy in more movies than just the ones I mentioned earlier in the show. I think he's a, tr- I think he's a phenomenal actor and uh, severely underrated. 
I wish, I really do wish that Christopher Lambert's performance was better here. I think being the star of this film, you would have had a stronger performance. But like you guys have mentioned, Robert Joy steals the show, especially with the way they deliver that twist. Uh, I will say honorable mentions with Mr. Cronenberg, as anytime he's on screen, he just steals the show. And Rick Fox is a tall motherfucker. Holy hell, the scene where he's standing next to the other cops. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it towers over everybody. It's like, whoa! But now, uh, discovering he's an NBA player, I completely forgot that he was an NBA player. I, I, subliminally, I must have remembered that at some point, but yeah. Uh, I knew I saw him somewhere. He has that face. He's oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I know I saw it, him I mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was how I figured out it was it was he was Jackson from Oz was like ah. the moment he was on I was like I know you <laughs> I know who this guy is hold on <laughs> the moment uh Jane Eastwood was on I was like oh my god that's the truck driver from Dawn of the Dead I, and I pointed oh, that out, out to Sarah we literally watched it like a week ago but yeah I, I'd have to say honorable mentions with Cronenberg and Jane Eastwood even though they're small roles uh yeah boys set piece <sighs> the house I that re- they go into at the end it's pretty cool with all the sliding it- doors and shit and then all the uh, oh, crosses oh, yeah. and stuff Stuff. I really liked that dark, gringy bathroom that they found the uh, decapitated guy in. Ooh. Like, I really liked how gnarly that was. Um, I don't know. I think that, that actually did kind of stand out oh. to me a bit more even than... Coffee shop with the windows. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I had that. <laughs> Brody, you want to talk uh, about that while you had yeah, that? Yeah, No, I actually, I actually really like the, uh, the cafe. Uh, to me, it feels like every time I think of this film, they're probably more the most iconic shots of the film. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that's actually with the character's intervening with each other like i mean you got the detective and that definitely there, helps we don't know that yet mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and can i uh talk mention one thing i don't yeah, know if you'll yeah, mention yeah. this the scene yeah. you just mentioned like how the characters interact in that that scene yeah. where you have one of them bathed in orange tint and the other one bathed in blue and yes. it's and it's almost and it's framed where they're just perfect and everything's symmetrical mm. such a russell mulkey thing but uh and sorry just to elaborate on that okay i don't know if you're going to say this and i forgot to put this in my additional info um, they actually put tint over the windows yeah. for those scenes. Oh, uh, makes yeah. sense. I didn't know if there was like a logical reason why a uh, cafe would have tint on some windows and then on some on not, like not on others. That's just, yeah, yeah it was just weird, but it looked cool as fuck. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, and you're completely right. That is a Mulcahy fucking trope. Just, well, I mean, the motherfucker's stylish in yeah. that sense. and. Watch Razorback. Uh. <laughs> yeah, just watch Razorback, man. Uh, that movie's good. And I don't. But yeah, there, there is, there is so many favorite. Uh, so, sorry, but there is so many iconic, you know, set pieces throughout this film. Like every murder scene we go to, it's just and fucking fantastic. I think it's that could be attributed cool. to what Nick say earlier. They hired that that dude that did the uh, corpse photography to collaborate yeah. with. So a lot of this stuff Wicked. was based on his work. So like. All the set pieces were designed with the corpses in mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of like how uh, they got H.R. Uh, Giger or Geiger for. Oh, uh, that's Australian. a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Like they kind of designed all of that around his sort of art style and and think of how cohesive of an art style Alien has that like you see someone you're like that's Alien that's from Alien or that looks like it's from Alien and it's like so closely related to Giger. I could see how like, yeah, they, they kind of did this very similar thing with uh with Joel Whitkin here. You have any honorable mentions, Brody? Um, no, I I mean, like I said, like I was even going to say the fucking cop shop at one stage. I mean, I think every, it, like it's like what um Robert was saying earlier in the additional information throughout each scene of Mulcahy's work, 
every every scene and frame is a work of art. Yes. And if and I kind of feel like if the storytelling isn't that great, at least the film looks visually beautiful, and that's what Mulcahy does best. Something I uh, pu- I kind of noticed, but I don't know if you guys notice or if there's a reason for it. So when they're outside and they're looking through stuff you can hear the street noises and stuff but you can't hear the people walking it's yeah, it sort of did pick that up it's like a sound design thing like in some scenes oh. where they're doing stuff like it's it's like they're focusing on certain sounds and, and and leaving other ones out but you can see people walking so like you would hear them uh and then you know you mentioned the uh police station like it, it's constantly busy so like you have this main story going on, but there's also people in the background doing police stuff that is not related to the story we're watching on screen. And one of the scenes is introduced with a, a shot of what could be assumed as, as a hooker or a prostitute who's getting brought in, who's talking about a problem, and then it pans over, and then you see the cops sitting there talking about the murder. So, like, he establishes, like, this is busy as fuck, and it, it's just cool. Mm-hmm. Like, he has so much thought that goes into everything, and so much work went into making this believable. I do like that he almost kind of directly addresses it with the captain uh, talking to John at that one point, where he's like, look out there, they're all detectives. Yeah, they're all doing the exact same job as you go home. Like, go go to bed, yep. get some rest. Like, yeah, Malke can create really good, believable worlds and allows you to immerse yourself in them. Now, no matter how bad Christopher Lambert's accent is or his performance <laughs> is, the world that he's in is believable. Yes, yes. It, it is a bit of a shame because, yeah, I constantly think that that is probably the biggest letdown of the film is Lambert's performance mm-hmm. and especially him being the lead. And and for us to be like the serial killer fucking outshined him, I mean, what does that tell mm-hmm. you? And he's only in it half the film. It just In that sense. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting – I mean, yeah. obviously he – he brought the idea to the table and it was a thing that he was like, I have to be involved. So it was, I kind of feel like it was like, yeah, we have to give you the lead role probably. Right. And also Mulcahy's worked with him before. So, I mean, they're probably best mates. I don't know. Um, you mentioned you mentioned pre-show about the, the unneeded scene of establishing extra that he was Cajun <laughs> by having them go <laughs> yeah. to a crawfish was, bar in the middle of Chicago. It was a bit on the nose. Yeah, it was really on the nose that scene. Um, <laughs> When I saw that, I was like, do we really need a stupid little backstory of him eating, yeah, like shrimp yeah. in the south? And then they have this little conversation about it. It's like, we know that he's fucking French or wherever it is. <laughs> they Cajun. already established that he'd moved there from yeah. New Orleans. And it yeah. was, I think it would have been fine if they had cut that out entirely because it was good enough, I think, whenever he visits Hollinsworth in the hospital mm-hmm. and he puts the knife under and his wife is explaining to the cops, she's like, oh, it's a Cajun superstition. You put the knife under the bed to cut the pain in half of someone who's suffering. It's almost like they Just were like aware of his accent being garbage. So they tried to make up with like character work and extra scenes but- to establish that he's Cajun. So like, oh. We can't believe it because you can't talk like it by any means, but we will definitely put all the stuff in to make it seem like you are. For someone who's actually <laughs> French, his French accent is the weirdest thing. <laughs> it just it just doesn't he's so out of place in it that I feel like a lot of the the weaknesses of his performance would not have stood out so much if it weren't for the addition of It's the just it, some of this some of the scenes are more serious subject matter and when he speaks it kind of takes you out of it that's all a little bit he sounds like a dog with peanut butter on the roof of his mouth I yes know. <laughs> he, he fucking does. i forgot that he was french when i started the movie he started talking i was like what the hell 
I was like, wait, Quick this takes place bar. in Chicago, right? <laughs> what about that stupid little scene where he walks in on that bloke talking about how his cousin got hit by a car and he's like, <laughs> that's like I I'm laughing so fucking hard at that. <laughs> but it's like I'm laughing at you, yeah. not with you. It was just so fucking ridiculous. And then they keep laughing. <laughs> and then Hans Roos like cracking up with them. He's like, what's so funny? You wouldn't get it. You had to been there. I, I was there, you son of a bitch. I was five feet away. Just tell me what happened. <laughs> Nothing. I just, uh, I was uh, just incredibly insensitive to my coworker. It's fucking funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> and that stupid little flashback scene like, where he thinks about his kid on the push buck and then it cuts back to him and he's like, no. This pathetic it's attempt like, to grab the tire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, kid, that kid was on a mission to get himself killed by that car, dude. Like, Brody, he was, the pet cemetery kid or this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that kid had fucking range. It sure is that. Mako Hughes, yeah. man, that motherfucker could act. Can I just say as well, it was it was like a weird amount that was filmed for that shot. The mom the doesn't move going, either. She, no! <laughs> and riding his bike into the street, and I'm like, oh, it's going to do that classic, like, kid gets hit by the car thing where it's going to, they're going to go, ah, and then it's going to cut away from him, and then you're going to hear, like, a crash or something, and then they're going to, like, cry. No, you see the kid go into the fucking tire. I was like, oh, oh, damn. <laughs> and the only movie that I've actually seen it pull that off, sorry, sidebar, but Jacob's Lab. They do these. Yes. Build, did you, if you, yeah, the Jacob's Ladder? Yes, absolutely. I fucking love Fuck. that movie. That is the only film that does that justice. And it's basically the same thing. But it's, anyway, that's, sorry, that's a different, that's different. So we kind of yeah. talked on shot earlier when I uh, rudely interrupted Brody when he was talking about the uh, kitchen scene. You monster. Uh, not kitchen, but diner. Uh, How dare you. So <laughs> I, that totally has to be one of like the, one of the shots that sticks with me after watching this film. Uh, the shot of the person in the slaughterhouse, I think, was pretty sweet too. I think that was like super graphic. It was, oh, it yeah. was quick. It was to the point. And it, it, I, I guess it wasn't as staged as the other ones. But I think the fact that it was so brief, it, it kind of was more impactful. Because everything else was just full on. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, was that the, was that the scene that they heavily edited out, like cut? cut down was that right? um actually i think is that the the, the other arm scene or it that... was the other guy yeah it was the it was the other leg right yes okay uh the the slaughterhouse one was the other leg uh because he had hollandsworth because because the, the other one that's right yep yeah i i called that that was the only one where i knew what was it was the only like scene where i knew what was going to happen before they actually revealed it mm -hmm. was whatever they talked about he was going to have to amputate his leg i was like he, he's he's gonna, he's gonna fucking steal his leg like it's it's absolutely he's gonna steal his goddamn leg and i love and that, 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 that like call. stealing body parts that becomes a part of the like the mm -hmm. killer's thing i was like 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 he's stealing body parts from the hospital it's just absurd <laughs> clubs and orderly over the head takes the leg and runs <laughs> like uh <laughs> But I think for so was for he gonna shot, steal the baby and then like rip its heart out? Is that what was gonna happen? Maybe being bringing new life into this world—that's a part of the Christ okay. being reborn. Maybe I thought I he was going know. after the mom's heart initially because he was like, yeah. "We're looking for a mother who's gonna give birth after midnight." Why the fuck did he steal the baby? And then he's and then whenever he was running out and he had the baby, I was like, "I thought he was going after the mom." Wait, maybe, that was a big chest spreader like for a, a baby. It could have been a hostage situation. I'm gonna steal this baby so you don't shoot me. Who knows? Yeah, like. It was just desperate. Like, it was just he knew that yeah. they were coming. That's a good point. Because he was pretty aware of everything that was going on, like you said, with the 48 hours and stuff. He's nuts. Right. But I think he was in uh, the mental institution long enough to get his bearings and 
be aware of what was going on. Yeah, well, because he was also talking uh, whenever they were having their back and forth in the diner. Um, and he was like, well, Dahmer, Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, they all did horrible stuff. They were completely sane. They knew the consequences of everything. Like he's like comparing himself to other yeah. serial killers actively and being like, no, he's sane. And because like he's you know, trying to throw it off of they're talking about a different guy, but he's just like also kind of defending himself a little bit in that where he's like, no, he's sane. You're just, you're buying in, you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. And then after that reveal, I thought back to that scene immediately and was like, ah, he was just rubbing it in his fucking face. <laughs> What's your, uh, Brody, you have a favorite scene? Um, I've actually, you know, the reveal of the mutilated crucifix. Yeah, um, so cool. That was mine. Yeah. Just fucking brutal. Two films um, in a row, we have, uh, Christ symbolism of crucifixion. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This one's a, this little, film is- a little more gnarly than Kiyoma, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> this film is definitely tying up all the other films we re- reviewed so far. Yeah. But no, like I just, I love how they deliver that scene. Um, it was like you were saying before, like they're going through all these doors, then mm-hmm. they finally get to the fucking room. It's just that, that lighting uh, behind it that really, ma- it feels like that scene out of, Silence of the Lambs where, you know, Hannibal escapes and he pins up the officer in the cage yeah. and you get that lighting shine behind him to really yeah. present that corpse. They and really just uh, delivers. emphasize the smell as well in that scene. Yeah, yeah. And they, the uh, gagging and everything. They carry on a little bit. But anyway, uh, no, you know, yeah, like I just think it's a fucking extremely well-executed scene uh, that always sticks out as much as part I was saying before with the cafe scenes. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, there's so many fucking great shots and scenes throughout this film. It was a tough one to choose, but I just have to go with that. And like you said, they spoiled it on the um, slip cover, but it's it definitely – look, just fucking watch it, people. Just watch it. <laughs> I will have to say the, the, uh, the room where he has – filmed the cru- the uh, crucifixion on videotapes mm. to play on Endless yes. Loop. I've actually had nightmares of a similar room and setup for like years now. So, yeah. Just CRTs in a circle. While playing an Endless Loop of a disturbing video over and over huh. again. Just in an empty room like that. I don't know. It's just fucking weird. I don't know why I've, I, I I thought of that in the past. It's just... <laughs> Simply, you just had this movie in your head. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I've seen it before when I was younger. Uh, I mean, I've I had dreams of that uh, one... Oh, God. What was the uh, damn movie? They're like damn near zombie movie. The, uh, they're like chain gang, the prisoners, and the uh, guy's like dead dad comes back. It, it, we've we've Root, talked about is it Route Six Six Six. Route Six Six Six. Yes, I I saw that movie once when I was very very late, and I had like dreams about that movie while forgetting it entirely existed until I just randomly found it again one day. It was like holy shit, that movie was real. <laughs> <laughs> the director of Scarecrows. That was it. Okay, I was like, I know we did yeah. a movie that was related to that somehow. We probably will never review that movie. It's Poop Town. Uh, and anybody Route who 666, thinks that movie is movie. incredible. Has pooped on opinion. Okay. Uh, <laughs> scene, Nick. Favorite scene, like overall? Um, I am probably going to have to go with the build up and reveal of the guy who was still alive with his leg cut off. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the, the staging, and I, I like that he pointed it out too, that he was like, I really think about, you know, how to stage, uh, as I'm doing it since I started out and working as an editor, uh, before directing was like the, the staging and the blocking, um, and the framing and everything for the lead up to that scene, him walking through the room, the, uh, the projector, 
uh, coming through like the big sheet that was just kind of like hanging up and everything at him, you know, going like passing through it. Couldn't even quite tell at first if he's standing between the sheet and the projector and everything till he like goes through all the way just up to the reveal of holy shit, the leg is already gone, but the dude's still alive. Yeah, that's like, great. and then just the desperate attempt to like save him, like, save him. Like your hand's going to do anything. I, mean, I was like, dude, you would have to tourniquet his entire like, <laughs> like torso, man. I don't think you're saving him. Uh, it's just, it's so gnarly too. Like it is, it is rough. Like I wanted to, I wanted to look away. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that one, that, that one was probably mine. That was the one I think that hit me the hardest. What about, uh, I, mean, I guess I said shot there. really, but, uh, that one scene where he tases that guy over and over again, it kind of reminded me a yeah. little bit of Cronenberg playing Decker in Nightbreed. Just the way he, uh, moves and shit mm. and the way he just keeps going at it. Uh, I just think he's just extra brutal. Demas is extra brutal in that scene. And the fact that like, that's the only time we actually see him work and do the killing or at least try to uh it's it's pretty brutal it's pretty brutal stuff yeah i i thought he was gonna go that hard on uh hollinsworth yeah me, me too him in the alley i yeah. thought he was just gonna cut him up right there do you guys have any uh, uh, like, mention of shot i'm gonna elaborate on my favorite shot was definitely the reveal of the the corpse jesus so Dev, uh, i i like the duran duran stuff he does but just sometimes i feel like it, it takes you away from stuff yeah it's cool uh, don't get me wrong but maybe it takes you out of a scene when it's just like okay i so, get it you're so, russell mulkey <laughs> And now, Franken-Jesus, 17 jump cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so which scene do you think he does with Duran Duran in? There's there's that one scene where I think it's Lambert, and he's like panning around him, and then he does the fast forward pan, and it's like, it's just not needed. It's just like, come on, man. It's just a pan shot of a character. Like it, yeah, He's trying to get too stylish with if it. If you're doing it with the bodies, now knowing the context that you collaborated with like a corpse artist or some shit like that, like, yeah, I get it. But like, if you're in the fucking police station- chill bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like that very late 90s uh whenever they were they were trying to search for any like evidence that that demas was like related to other crimes or anything like that and it, and it was it was that very late 90s yeah. uh overly edited working on the computer like trying to <laughs> like style thing of ah oh, they're gonna use that in ncis for the next fucking eight years yes. <laughs> like so favorite Fact or death, kind of talked about it. We only really see one person die mm. on screen, uh, but we got tons of effects. We got prosthetic heaven here. Boys, what body do you like the best? <laughs> <laughs> Next said something about the dude on the commode, didn't you? <laughs> I, was about, I was about to say, yeah, it's, it's probably the, uh, the, the dead dude on the toilet. <laughs> what's, what's your feelings on the full prosthetic nutsack on the dude on the slab? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not expecting as much dong as we got in this movie, but there's a surprising amount of dong. <laughs> I couldn't decide if uh, Watchmen or this had more dick in it. Like, <laughs> I was actually expecting dick. I think <laughs> I was expecting to see a dick looking like a button on a fur coat. <laughs> Although we get a bit of hung daddy over here. So. Yeah, all these guys are uh, are packing here. I don't think of the prosthetics. He's yeah. like, you, you make sure those dicks are big. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any chodes in my movie. <laughs> That's going to definitely get sampled. You make sure those dicks are big. <laughs> you make sure those dicks are big. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, eh? Oh. I don't know. I, I like the slaughterhouse dude hanging there. Yeah. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, final crucifixion thing's pretty gross. Yeah. Kind of like how it goes full circle whenever he 
pops Demas in the forehead and he does the uh, like Jesus pose as he's falling backwards off the building a little bit. His fucking head explodes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, Moke doesn't hold back with his fucking head pops. That was no. cool. I like that. <laughs> Can I say the cut? The cut of him grabbing, grabbing the baby. baby yes, yes. Me, <laughs> that baby's not having a good time. <laughs> I was like, "Damn, he's flailing the baby around." Holy shit, that cannot be good for that child. <laughs> Do you know what I actually like about that motherfucker headless on the toilet? Is the fact that he actually killed him in one room and then actually dragged him into the <laughs> other yeah. to put him on the fucking toilet and headless. Just think about how big that motherfucker is compared to Demas once we figure it out. <laughs> like he struggled. Like, like that, that was a that was a heavier dude. He had an accomplice. That's a whole nother side story. <laughs> yeah. That was Paul Dotto. He cuts a guy's head off <laughs> in the middle of an apartment building. He drags him into the bathroom, but nobody sees it. <laughs> <laughs> I like how in that same scene, Christopher Lambert's like looking up and down the uh, like his partner while he carries on. Oh, I feel sick to the stomach. And he's just like <laughs> judging him with his looks. How dare you? Clean yourself up, boy. <laughs> <laughs> just so much shock and everything. I just remembered that, like I did say out loud while I was watching. I was like, "He's so shocked. You're a homicide detective." Yeah. <laughs> mm. It's it's literally that John Mulaney bit about how Ice T in Law and Order is always so shocked about everything. Yeah. He's like, you telling me he likes little girls? Yeah, Ice, you're a <laughs> sex crime. We're on season 22 and you're still shocked. To the man that goes and writes a song about cop killing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> becomes one on TV. <laughs> I, you know, listening to six in the morning hits a lot different. After seeing <laughs> <Lord of> <laughs> well, boys, thoughts on story. Oh, Brody, your pick. Start us off. Hey, look, look, I can separate the fact, like I said, about bad dreams and a nightmare on Elm Street, that the fact that people do compare this to Fincher's seven. And yes, there are some somewhat themes and tones and elements about this film that definitely feel like that. But in terms of story, I think that, Russell, well, obviously the crew or whoever, Lambert and that that fucking wrote it, it really focuses more so on the killer. It really flushes the killer out more. Um, and even halfway through the film, we get that twist that, and then it's a cat and mouse game. I, I actually really enjoy that. And because I love to see, we always get these films about the good guy and the bad guy, and we go on the journey with the good guy. But I feel like in the last half of this, we go on the journey with the serial killer in that yes. sense. So, yeah. And that's what I really appreciate about this film the most. Um, and to see, because I, I always like to see a villain in their, you know, obviously, like I said, get flushed out a bit more. We never really get a film about the villain because, like I said, it's always about the good guy. And this last half an hour, they really, really dive deep into the um, psychological psychological aspect of this character and they, yeah, break it down. The character development is absolutely amazing with um, this killer. I don't know. They just they elaborated in a way that's something different and to the storytelling, to most other crime, thriller, mystery, horror films. I don't know. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. And like I said, I can separate for the fact that it feels like a seven film. What about you guys? I say it's it's fair. I mean, I said it earlier. I, I have a little more tough of a time separating it in my head from seven than I did with From Bad Dreams to Dream Warriors. Um, like it's I didn't not enjoy the movie. It's not my favorite so far of the season, I th I really do think it's 
Lambert's performance that just kind of takes me out of it. There were parts where I was laughing that I probably like I shouldn't have been laughing at kind of like it should have been more serious, but it didn't feel that way because there was just enough of something taking me out of it that I couldn't get full tilt into the story. Like I it I do like the differences that it takes um, in development like then seven um because like i was afraid whenever you know he leaves that tape uh, of the like i'm gonna have to punish you now because you didn't reveal my work to the world and everything uh and then he immediately just goes oh he's gonna go kill my wife i was like please no 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 if he actually does that then i literally cannot differentiate this movie from seven i was very glad that they didn't do that like otherwise it really just would have felt too much like it um i do like the cat and mouse game uh, I do agree with what you said earlier of like if John Doe wasn't, you know, capped in the head when he was uh, that we would have had this extra story in seven. Um, and I do like that it was fleshed out a lot more. I like that it, w- it went a lot more into the then into the life of the detective. We got plenty of the life of the detective. Um, you know, we didn't have the whole like dinner scene from seven and all that with <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's an enjoyable movie. Um I just wouldn't go into it expecting to take it extremely seriously, even though the gore and the themes and everything would suggest that you should. But I don't know. That's that's just kind of my uh, my thoughts on it. What about you, TJ? What, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely, man. So I haven't seen Seven in a long enough time that I could sit here and look at this film in a way that is not comparing it to Seven because I don't remember enough about it. I, mm. But I will say is this film's clever. It is stylish. It is well done. It is well made. It is a Russell Mulcahy film. So what, what the fuck are you going to expect? But like we said before, and I've mentioned throughout the show, the Lambert performance takes you so out of the story. It's like, oh, high mark at times. And you don't know whether to laugh or to just turn it off. And it sucked because all the other characters were heavily invested and you can tell and their performances mm-hmm. were definitely good. And this movie, if you want to compare it to Seven, is definitely more full on with some of its stuff. And the fact that he went as far as putting that extra thought into each death and each victim, mm-hmm. it's it makes it that much more haunting and that more effective. I don't know if I'll remember this film, though, uh, in a year's time. I don't know if I'll think, like, man, Resurrection was fucking awesome. Or, yeah, it's, it's middle of the road for me and I don't think that it really brings anything new to the table other than the fact that the shift in tone like brody mentioned to uh kind of focus a little bit more on the killer and give you a little bit more of uh hey this is how he does his thing and this is the end of his story uh it's it's interesting it's interesting to see uh a story written out definitely uh not Lambert's strongest film. Impact and takeaways. Takeaways. Uh, like I said, probably not gonna remember it in a year's time in a genre of film that I heavily love and hell even the most recent batman film touched on this film's gonna get drowned out nine times out of ten by much better and more well executed films brody yeah um just trying to think <laughs> takeaways for me i mean yeah it, look it's not it's it's a film that's like what nick said it, it's enjoyable for what it is it's not to be taking itself really too serious um like i look i can appreciate what they were trying to achieve with this film and, and um like you said at least like, it was stylish. It's Russell Mulcahy, you know? Yeah. And it's like what I said earlier. If the story's at least weak and then it's visually beautiful to watch the whole way through, and then I kind of feel that he, yeah, succeeded in what he wanted yeah. to create. I mean, um, yeah, I don't, look, yeah, I, 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 look, it, it was not, obviously it wasn't really a commercial success. 
uh, in that sense. Uh, that's not to take away anything from the other actors that surround Christopher Lambert. I think Christopher Lambert's performance in this, yeah, like, I'll agree with you, wasn't the best at all. Um, but I think the other actors are quite amazing. And it's a shame that, that one man that leads the film, um, is a bit of a downfall for the others in that sense, because yeah, like it really does play around sometimes where it doesn't want to draw you in in certain scenes because of that performance from Lambert. Um, yeah, I don't know. Lambert was to me always a B movie or C movie actor, whatever you want to call it. I kind of really wish that they had got someone a little bit decent. He could have still stayed on as a writer, a producer of that sense, but and it probably would have been a bit more of a better film if they had got an A-lister in it at least. But I don't know. I mean, with a $10 million budget, they should have at least been able to, you know, get someone a little bit more decent. Yeah, I don't know. Like like I said, if the story's not that good, at least it was visually beautiful in that sense. So yeah. that's just me. Yeah. Uh I mean it's it's not my favorite movie, like like I said, but we've done this season, but I don't I don't actively like dislike it at all. I, I think the story is great in concept. I don't think the story was as well executed, and I think it is it's just little things that just add up. It's Lambert's acting. It's a little bit too much over edited. It's, it's, and it's just a little bit more and more and more that just kind of makes it a bit messy when it really comes down to it. It is a visually striking movie. Mm -hmm. Um, for sure. And like you said earlier, TJ, Mulcahy knows how to make a believable world for his characters to exist in. But even the prettiest uh, girls can put on too much makeup. Yes. Like it sometimes feels like it does too much to yep. try to overcompensate for its shortcomings. Like they knew where their weaknesses were and they tried to make up for it in other areas rather than strengthen those weaknesses directly. Yep. Um, but like I could, I could see myself watching this again. If I had a group of like friends or something together and they were like, you guys want to watch some horror movies or something, have some drinks or like something like that. I'd be like, you heard of resurrection. Like I would recommend this movie to my buddy, Alex or so like he, I like, I know a few people I think who would enjoy this film. Um, and I think plenty of plenty of the listeners will probably enjoy yeah. this movie as well. Like, give it a watch, man. Even if you don't want to order the Vincent or anything, it's on like Tubi and IMDb TV and stuff for free as well. If you want to just give it a shot, like it's not hard to, to access this movie. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's really about the my final thoughts on it, more or less. Absolutely. If you like the genre, give it a try. So let's rate this bad boy. This week's rating is crazy Bible thumping serial killers who steal body parts out of five. Brody, what's your rating? We'll go with a 3.3. Nick? 2.8. I'm going to give it a two. That is an LCE score of 2.7 out of five for 1999's Resurrection. So next episode is a Nick pick. Mm-hmm. Nick, let them know what they're in for. We're going to watch Hobo with a Shotgun, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Should just be Rutger Hauer yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. I don't believe I've watched that before, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's I've fun. Only seen trailers for it and heard people talk about it. And I kind of, it's. What's what what's ploitation is it? Um I would say it's more it's actually probably somewhat in the same vein of this as it's just like full tilt hardcore B movie like okay. crime oh, thriller. Yes. Or like but it's just following a homeless man with a shotgun hell bent is he a with vigilante? shotgun on a rampage going after a crime lord a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Like, Fair enough. 
it's it's fun it's fun it's it's fun dumb kind of schlocky like i don't know exactly how well it was received but it was one of those movies that i just found with a buddy on netflix like a Mm. decade ago and we watched it and went what the fuck was that that was great (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i'm looking forward to experiencing that for what i think is the first time but yeah thank you for joining us on another fun filled episode of lights camera exploitation this was a fun one this week see you next one bye bye this is your DKB sliding out, and I'll catch you homies later. Slick next signing off. See you all next week. Hope you enjoy. Hit the music!